WPL that it's time for civil tension because when you're right you're right no matter which side of the aisle you're on if you are right and your argument is based in facts then you're right it's just the way it goes and remember a fact is a presentation of something that actually is it is a thing that truly and positively exists for those of you watching on Facebook Live, you can see that we have a black tablecloth there on the table. That is a fact. That cloth is there. So let's see if we can actually have uh, a conversation about that and about uh, some things that uh, unfortunately have been in the news. Well, fortunate, unfortunate, I don't know. I'm kind of leaning toward fortunate these days because the more I see, the more I hear, the more I am actually appreciative that we're seeing these things, even though they're very distasteful and learning these things are very distasteful. And today with me to talk about a lot of these things is uh, Ryan Yantis, president of Silverleaf Leadership Communication uh, and a retired Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army veteran and Pentagon 9-11 survivor. Ryan, good morning. Say hello to everybody. Morning, Peter. Good morning, folks. <laughs> Glad right. to be here. Awesome. Ryan, thanks for coming and hanging out with me this morning. You can see it's just the two of us today. If Again, if you're watching on the Facebook live stream uh, and uh, Ryan braved the cold. He was the, the the one soul who had reserved a spot this morning who the, the cold did not scare you away. Uh, but uh, you're, I'm guessing you're just tough like that. I try to be <laughs> and uh, enjoy chatting with you and uh, enjoy the opportunity to come up and have a conversation. Awesome. Now we were talking a little bit uh, just before we got started about uh, the news this morning that we're all hearing about the uh, trial of Mr. Stone. And, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and, and, and launch, in, launch us into that and, uh, you know, a little bit of what we're talking about and why that's a bit of a concern. Well, I'm not a legal expert, not a lawyer, and I don't play one on TV. Me neither. But uh, last November, uh, Roger Stone, uh, who had been identified through the various investigations uh, against uh, President Trump and the administration, uh, was tried and convicted on seven counts in a federal court in D.C., uh, and it's come to light within the past 48 hours that apparently, uh, allegedly and reportedly, the chairwoman of that jury um, had certain biases that uh, she's been publicly sharing on social media, uh, and that's only now uh, come to light. Uh, and then there's discussion on various news outlets of the propriety of that status how it might impact the trial or the, his, uh, <clears throat> his uh, verdict that he was found guilty, uh, and it's possibly going to be grounds for a mistrial. But meanwhile, President Trump uh, and the D Department of Justice weighed in on the sentencing guidelines and sentencing uh, recommendations to the judge. Uh, and so there's this nice little spaghetti bowl of who did what to who when, and is the finding in the, the first part even valid? Um, you know, the, uh, the process, you know, the judge should have been finding out things about uh, the jury and scanning for those kinds of biases. They really should. And it's, again, one of the things that bothered me, because we've been hearing this on the news all over the place, uh, one of the things that bothered me, and, and you actually pointed something out that I hadn't really considered, uh, but was the, um, the radio silence from the judge. Uh, because, boy, if this had been brought to light, and again, just like you, I am not an attorney. Don't play one on TV. Don't pretend to be one over the radio or over the podcast here. Mm -hmm. uh, I have very, very limited knowledge of things legal, anything legal. Uh, but uh, so anything you hear come out of my mouth and then we'll, we'll preempt this is not law. This is not a discussion of law. This is 100% opinion on what has been publicly shared and discussed. And but what bothers me is that the judge has not said, oh, man, I'm a federal court judge. This apparently now, it's been brought to light uh, has in a public fashion. 
happened in my courtroom. Uh, we need, we need to get on this. We need to look at this. Um, that radio silence has bothered me, but as you pointed out, that radio silence could mean a number of things. And uh, it could mean that there are discussions going on in the background that obviously no one but the people who really should be having these discussions are, are maybe talking about. Letting the process follow the process. Yeah. Um, and there are undoubtedly from Stone's legal team, uh, from the Department of Justice and others, other interested parties and actors, uh, there are going to be different engagements with the court, um, whether it's with that individual judge uh, or uh, in, in that setting. And you know, while you're right, Peter, neither one of us is a lawyer, uh, mm -hmm. but we have some basic understanding of uh, what our our rights are and mm -hmm. what the process should be. A fair and open trial that's conducted based on facts and evidence entered uh, that Mr. Stone or whoever is accused gets a uh, chance to face their accusers, mm -hmm. uh, has due process and an opportunity to defend themselves. Importantly, and has been lacking, in my humble opinion, in far too much that's involved uh, President Trump and others, has been a presumption of guilt versus right. what we're supposed to have is a presumption of innocent. Uh, and, and that the burden of proof resides with the government. Um, the burden of proof resides with your accuser mm -hmm. and not with you. And again, the, the presumption of innocence, that seems to be completely lost almost all the way around anymore. As soon as there's an accusation out, it seems that what we hear, what we're being given is a presumption of guilt across the board by media, by government, by people within a certain party, uh, one party against the other. The, the, it, it really, really, truly bothers me that we're now living right now in a society that has made this okay. And that, that should scare everybody. Well, and, in my opinion, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but it's been that way for a lot longer. What the difference is, is that there is so much more volume within social media, the electronic media, and the immediacy of media. Um, in 50 years ago, you had the alphabet radio stations and you had the uh, four or five TV stations whether they're stations or network. Um, but now, just as we are here on WLP or WPL, there, there are all these micro stations. Yeah. And whether they're agenda-based or factual-based or whatever their approach is to the news, um, they're going to report what they think the news is. Right. And there are those parties that are going to accept that as gospel, um, unchallenging, unthinking. And I think that's the, the real challenge for the current generation and future is to be more skeptical of what's reported and to, to compare it against history. Um, now, I'm a historian by training, so I have a bias towards, okay, what happened in the past and what can we learn from it going forward? Uh, and history is not predictive, but it's a good basis. It's, an, it's a good basis, and it is a good indicator of – History is just like a, it's almost like a business. You can take a look at history and you can establish, um, and, and I hate the buzzword really, frankly, and all of you out there that actually work with me on a professional level, KPIs. I know people talk about KPIs, key performance indicators. It's the buzz, buzz, the buzz phrase of now. Uh, it, however, all it means is take a look at past behaviors and what results in the item produced or the the function produced that you want to achieve look at that get this it's a very good indicator of what you're going to receive if you behave a certain way and and like you said uh, you're right it, it now all of these things that are coming to light they're in our face like never before and i agree with you this has probably always and forever been the case 
politically speaking. It's always been one party versus another. Uh, while we have multiple different facets of uh, leadership functions and belief systems within uh, our country, which is a big part of what makes this place so friggin' cool, uh, we've always really truly been a two-party system. It, it, it just is. Uh, and because of the immediacy of communication now that we never had before, we are we are probably privy to things that we never ever otherwise would have been, mm -hmm. you know, even 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, you know, it's with the advent or not advent of, but you know, with the uh, development of uh, public information via the internet mm -hmm. where things are now pretty much available at a keystroke, you can get into stuff and learn about things that, you never would have otherwise. Uh, and it really, really does bother me that people are not looking at history, even the way I was taught back in school, uh, which I'm sure is, at this point, I'm fairly sure was not exactly entirely correct either. And, and that was a long time ago. Well, in, you know, the study and reporting of history, um, as you move farther down the line, more items come to light, more research is done. I just finished uh, in November uh, Ron Turnworth's book about Grant, 1101 pages. And I thought I had a pretty good understanding of Grant. But as uh, a military leader uh, and his experiences in uniform, uh, and then as a president and a somewhat reluctant Republican president who was trying to replace a Democrat who became president when Lincoln was assassinated. Uh, and that was Johnson who was impeached mm -hmm. and just how um, torn apart the country was now your immediate post civil war. Uh, the Democrats at that time uh, in the North were copperheads. They had Southern sympathies. They had different war aims than the Republicans who were more towards abolition of slavery and freeing the slaves. But, um, the media back then was dealing with this thing called the telegraph and the yeah. information was flowing so quickly compared to what it had been. Uh, and you had newspapers that were writing and reporting whatever they wanted. Now, normally on the banner head of newspapers back then, you know, if it was the clarion and it said a democratic paper, that meant that it was a, for the Democrats mm -hmm. news source. Uh, where I grew up in California, Sacramento Bee and the Sacramento Union. The Sacramento Bee was the Democrat paper. The Union was the Republican paper. It had it on the masthead back in the 60s and 70s. Um, we've gotten nonpartisan in, in identifying our news sources at the macro level. So New York Times, for example, which was an offshoot of the London Times, mm -hmm. uh, never... I wonder how many people actually know that. Well, I don't know. I got that mm -hmm. from a book about Churchill. Oh, did you really? Yes. Wow, okay. And... Right. and uh, I'm, I'm on this fad of listening to audiobooks when I putter around or I work out and uh, it's made my time more productive. It makes me feel smarter anyway. <laughs> the more you know. Yes. Right? Well, I'm, I'm at uh, about 14 books so far this year. Wow. And uh, some of them are quick and easy. Some of them are a thousand pagers. Uh, the secret to audiobooks for that is you turn the speed up on the reading to where you can just hear them pause for uh, the punctuation, but otherwise, you know, quick as it, because your brain functions faster than the spoken word. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm sorry, but I yeah. threw you a squirrel there, but no, go ahead. It's fine. Uh, getting back to the media, uh, the news media purports itself to be fair, balanced, and accurate. And I'm not picking on Fox, uh, but all of the, Alphabet Network um, want to be truth tellers and they want to be the good source. And, and for example, when I started working with the news media back in the 90s, CNN was new to the scene and they were the disruptor. And they were going to, they had a different way of reporting and a different methodology and they didn't have the deep pocket investments. They had this guy named Ted Turner down in Atlanta and they were going to be different. And Unfortunately, CNN has kind of folded itself into the mold of, of uh, mainstream media, mm -hmm. and they have their own agenda, their own slant, their own bias. 
but it's not on their masthead anymore. No. Um, so we're where we were 120, 140 years ago in many ways, but without some of the obvious signposts to help us understand who's the news source. Right. Um, you know, Drudge Report, probably right of center. Fox News has been identified as being right of center. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then you have, like, even on satellite radio, the Patriot Channel. Mm-hmm. And with David Webb, the David Webb, I love David, the David Webb show. Uh, you've got Hannity on there. You've got Wilkow uh, on there. You've got um, just some remarkable people who, but who are, they make it incredibly and painfully clear that they are well right of center. Um, it's, uh, but it seems from what I hear that the, the people who are well right of center actually give you information in a form that, you know, when I grew up and I actually, you know, I, back when I was studying writing before I really had decided which way I was going to go long ago, my educational career, uh, you know, when you report, you say, you you look at a thing or a situation and you say, this is what it is. Here, digest this as you will. There was no opinion. And again, I want to be perfectly clear. This entire thing this morning is opinion. It, it, it truly is. Um, but that's fine because we're selling, we're telling you this is our opinion on what we're seeing and experiencing here. But, you know, you would say if you had this thing or situation or again, here, I'm going to, you know, Pete, go out and report on this tablecloth. Well, it is uh, three pieces of fabric that are sewn together. One is uh, kind of a chocolate brown. The center is a maroon burgundy type of color. The the top is a patterned more, more gold or light tan. And, uh, you know, you Take this bit of information and digest of it what you will and make make of it what you will. And maybe you appreciate this cloth, maybe you don't. And and that was called reporting. Mm-hmm. Now, no, it, it's, it's uh, we hate this person. We like this person. Hate and like are opinions. Those are emotions. Those are feelings. And we're hearing all kind of emotive reporting. Mm-hmm. And give and being and being fed this emotive reporting, which I don't appreciate. Yeah, and that that agenda based reporting, and where they're coming, and if you're not like us, you're uncool. Right. Um, when you don't have folks from the other side of the aisle sitting down, and one of the things that appealed to me about this program and uh, the the related activities is civil discourse that that it's a group of people getting together sharing coffee sharing ideas doesn't mean that we all have to drink from the same trough or think the same way and if you have a a disagreement you can disagree but still be civil and you listen to each other um you know i'm enjoying our conversation Mm -hmm. it'd be a hoot if there were a couple more folks in here and some people from the other sides of the aisle it's so so would love some people from all sides of the, I don't care if you are uh, left of center. I don't care if you're right of center. I don't care if you're so center, you can't even find left or right. Uh, it, it, that's, that's fine with me. Uh, you know, it, it kind of cracks me up. Uh, my, my middle son uh, latched on to a joke when, when someone says, Hey, you know, yeah, I like you, you're all right. And he says, well, you know, I'm also an equal amount left. So, you know, because we have a left side and a right yeah. side. It's the way we're made. Uh, but um, uh, anybody who would love to join us at the table, please shoot a note. You can shoot a note to uh, 247WPL at gmail.com and uh, say, hey, we'd love to be on an episode of Civil Tension. I'll get you all the details there for that. But I'm glad you enjoy this. Yep. I really appreciate you having here, having you here as well. But again, sorry, I interrupted you. Nope. Go ahead. No. I, I, I I, I think we started talking about the uh, the, the stone trial and, yeah, we did. and the results. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I think is very interesting is uh, A.G. Barr uh, came out and he said, hey, the president, him doing this tweeting at all times on all topics that relate to me, and I'm paraphrasing him, mm. makes my job almost impossible. 
and there was a certain amount of uh, breathless anticipation for him to then say, well, and that's it, I quit. Um, if I had a nickel for every time I had a boss that I worked for in the military or the civilian world where you don't find some way to tell your boss, hey, what you're doing is not helpful. You got to let me do my job. Mm-hmm. You know, public utterances are distracting. I'm going to spend more time tamping this down or getting this handled now because of your utterances. You know, do me a favor. You got a problem? Call me. Yeah. Now, ironic because uh, what was uh, President Trump attempted uh, the uh, House impeachment was about a phone call. So, you know, he's damned if he does, and he damned. <laughs> To me, the House Democrats are, um, they've found him guilty. They just have to find the means to pile up enough sticks to start the Mm -hmm. bonfire, to burn him in effigy for real. Yeah. Um, And they're desperate at doing that. In fact, this morning, Pelosi was already quoted on another little item over the course of this week with regard to this whole, you know, stone and bar and everything. Uh, She said, well, you know, this is, again, an, an obvious abuse of power. Not not a week later are they trying to start creating a frame for yet another. Uh, It it drives me up the freaking wall. Quit wasting our time and our money. The the worldview that I've seen as related from their quotes, you know, Mr. Schumer out of uh, the Senate thinks that the impeachment was a good situation and a good outcome for the Democrats. Well, you know, Mr. Schumer, that's fascinating, and I understand you, your partisan bias, but it should be a focus on what's good for the country or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I started out last time I was on the air. No, mm-hmm. I didn't vote for Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Not last time. I, you mm-hmm. know, I went for the middle. You know, I didn't go for Hillary. You know, I was a libertarian, and I went for Johnson. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with that. Um, I would still vote for the best candidate, but there is – Virtually no one that's in the viable category on the Democratic ticket uh, that I see as being palatable. Mm. Now, that's based on my worldview, my experience, and my background. Tulsi Gabbard uh, is about the only one that had any allure at all, and she's been shunted to the side because, according to Hillary, you know, she's a plaything of the Russians. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is interesting. You know, it's coming for. <laughs> When you consider the source, yeah, I know someone uh, who you know. Hey, by the way, we got some plutonium for sale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much you got in your pocket? Well, uh, the uh, you know the 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 challenge uh, for me moving forward is uh, keeping an open mind for what does come across the aisle or out of the Democratic Party. Uh, there is a very good and vital function Congress has in the balance of power between the the executive and the judicial. I do think Congress needs to step up its game and do its job. Mm -hmm. Um, And as long as we've got a uh, Senate controlled by one party and a house controlled by the other, it's going to be at loggerheads. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And things either don't move out of the house and get dumped on the Senate and then, well, the Senate hasn't moved on any of our bills that we sent them. Well, you just dumped them, <laughs> dumped them all on their doorstep at once. Yeah, it, it, that's, I, yeah. You don't get to come over with a giant pile of boxes and go, here you go. Uh, and then five minutes later say, well, you didn't do anything. Yeah. That, that's not how this works. Right. And, and I agree with you. It, it's, I'm, I'm really, I am so sick and tired of watching these elected you know, these people filling roles to which they were elected to lead doing nothing but chasing political issues. You're not leading your constituents. You're not providing for them. You're not looking at what's going on in the areas with, within which you were elected to bring to Congress. And again, Congress, Senate alike, again, you're exactly right. They're going to do nothing but bash heads, but, for, for crying out loud, do the job for which you were elected, and that is to represent the area over which you are responsible, and it's not being done. Not well. I mean, there are 435 folks 
in that capacity, whether the 535, if you're all in the, uh, the Senate, mm -hmm. um, and there are those that are uh, kowtowing to whatever special interest group put them in power. Um, you know, there's a certain movement afoot nowadays to limit uh, terms for House and Senate. And, you know, the unanticipated outcome of that potentially is just emboldening and empowering the um, the dug-in Senate and House staffers who are there that don't get replaced often. Um, and the bureaucrats within the, the federal government, whether they're in um, the legislative or executive branch, and the, the accountability goes back through the legislative process or civil protection. Having worked in, and served in the, the D.C. area, um, the preponderance of people who move into that area on good intentions, get a job, settle down, they buy a house, and, and then they get sucked into that vortex within the beltway where things matter differently inside the beltway than they do outside of Kansas City or near Duluth or in Northern California. Right. And the constituent is distant. All I got to do is go back there every two years and get them to vote for me. And if I bring enough money into my district, I'm good. Or they return every six years to get reelected. Um, at least that accountability. Uh, I don't so much have trouble with long-term politicians as long as they are doing their job. It's when they've lost sight of what their job is uh, and their districts are flailing. And I think you and I are in agreement on that. Yeah, we very much are, I think. Uh, uh, you know, born and raised in California, uh, I jokingly, in truth, say that I fled California for the common sense and normalcy of the Midwest to go to college. <laughs> and I think about the time I was leaving to go to college, uh, Diane Feinstein moved from the House to the Senate, and Nancy Pelosi got elected uh, into the House. Wow. And, uh, you know, California is in bad shape. Um, the net loss of people, much like uh, Illinois, mm -hmm. that it's an exporter to neighboring uh, states and others of folks, especially middle to upper income earners, um, more skewed to the blue and democratic because those are the folks that want to stay, but profoundly challenged by uh, political and societal decisions that are made. And... You know, Congress is not there to fix the state's problems, but if the state has a mirror of one-party rule, as it does in California and here in Illinois, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not good. Uh, it's not a good outcome. It's not a good solution for people. No, it's not at <laughs> all. And and you did. Hit, we're seeing an exodus here in Illinois. It's a significant exodus uh, so much so that uh, you know there is now an exit tax in the form of uh, property property value assessments when you go to do a title change on properties over a certain value amount um, and and they they think that that was hidden well excuse they yeah, that <laughs> but I mean, the the exasperation of that is uh, Again, danged if you do, danged if you don't. And hey, we don't want you leaving our state, so we're going to make it a little bit more difficult for you, and we're going to slap uh, slap you in your pocketbook. Right. Uh, and and it it just absolutely floors me that somehow that got passed. Well, and, and that goes back to here in Illinois, the one party with the the overwhelming control, the supermajority of both houses, mm -hmm. and the governor's office. Yeah. And if there is no tension within the, the, the system or in, in the discourse uh, with such a small minority of seats in the house uh, or the assembly here in Illinois uh, and, and you know, Mr. Rauner uh, was very ineffective as a governor, but he was fighting a stack deck with uh, the Democrat control of the yeah. assembly. And I, you know, it, it was, Initially, my thought was, oh, hey, fantastic. We got a Republican governor. But you knew going in that that was just a fight that wasn't going to get won. Um, and, and, I, and I think a lot of people were, uh, including myself at some points, uh, 
well, there was one really key turning point for me. Uh, but a lot of people were maybe somewhat unjustifiably really, really upset with him. Uh, but what really, really, I mean, what turned me completely the other way with regard to, to Browner was when uh, he made Illinois a sanctuary state. There's no such thing. You yeah. can't do that. It's federal law. States don't get to declare this. And I don't understand why people think they can, why cities, municipalities, counties, why I don't understand why people think that, you know, state, why they think that they get to make this declaration. That's federal law. That's constant. It's even constitutionally controlled. You, you don't get to do that. It's just, and go back to California because I think some of that that technology or that that uh, political tactical approach grew out of the frustration of the northern counties versus the control and dominance of of L.A. Uh, and Southern California, and um, they basically said, okay, if you pass a law in Sacramento and you don't fund it and it's an unfunded mandate. Um, then you know, unless you pay for it, we're not going to do it. No. And uh, that's been an ongoing battle within California because the parts of Northern California um, are more blue, or excuse me, more red now turning to purple mm-hmm. um, as people flee. But they've had this, no, you can't tell us unless you pay for it. You can't just t- you know, require us to do it. Mm-hmm. And on the, the the right side of the aisle, if you look at Virginia, uh, the assembly and the governor are trying to pass uh, anti-Second Amendment ordinances and laws. And I want to come and, back to and, that. And there's, there, there are counties that are the, the sheriffs are saying, we're not going to enforce unconstitutional laws. We've sworn our oaths. And there are sanctuary uh, cities and counties springing up there where they're protecting the second amendment. And, and I want to come back to that in, in just a, a little bit here, but what I would like to do, Hey, Ross Nelson, how you doing out there? It's good to see you. Uh, what I'd like to do actually is now give you a few minutes um, uh, because you're here with me and, and I really appreciate you coming and joining me. Uh, but I'd like you to share whatever it is you'd like to promote today, whether it's silver leaf uh, leadership communication, uh, you which of course people can find at silverleaflc.com and learn all about you there. But uh, what, what would you like to take a few minutes and, and share with everybody today? Well, about yourself or your company. <laughs> I, uh, I'm in that unique role uh, of being a leadership trainer and coach. And it's part passion and part opportunity that I just stumbled into uh, when I stepped away from my job at the state of Illinois. One of the things that I saw when I was working downtown Chicago, uh, and especially 2006 through uh, 15, was you saw people and on the commute in and out of the the city on trains, you get to know people and you'd see somebody who's a good performer, uh, who had the lights are on in somebody's home and they're, they're productive. And one day they're carrying a banker's box. Well, what happened? Well, yeah, I couldn't stand my boss anymore. So I'm taking a job or I'm not, I'm just done. And watching people uh, leaving good-paying jobs because of bad leadership and having worked as a leader in the Army and helped train future leaders in the Army and help develop and coach people, uh, it's an interesting skill set to have. And uh, about the time I was setting up Silverleaf Leadership, I got introduced to Academy Leadership, which is a company uh, made up of West Point and Annapolis graduates, folks from the Air Force Academy as well. Uh, And it's a nationwide consortium of facilitators. And we take proven uh, business effective military leadership tenants. And and jokingly, I say, I don't try to make anybody a drill sergeant. I don't want to make them a general. I want to help them become the best communicator and leader they can be. And Academy Leadership has a great suite of programs and processes uh, and has been doing it for 20 years. And it's based on two centuries of leadership training and development from the military. And if you you look at what is a respected organization in the United States, uh, the military is pretty high up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a values-based organization. It's had some bad times. 
He's overcome some bad times. Um, we're there as servants of the people and protectors of the Constitution um, and helping businesses that are willing and able and helping individuals who want to step up and become the best they can be to do so. And, and that's very exciting to me. Um, when you think about athletes, and I was a, a scholarship athlete in college, uh, world-ranked swimmer. I had coaches. I did not get to be, I didn't just hop in the water one day and go, well, I want to be a world-class swimmer. I'm going to train myself. And start flapping your arms and kicking right. your legs. You had to have good coaches. And some of the coaches were swimmers who knew how to talk to me about technique. Others couldn't survive in a, <laughs> a very shallow puddle. And I'm talking that they just couldn't swim. <laughs> but they were a really good coach because they could observe and get me to do the behaviors I needed to to become an effective swimmer. And that's my excitement is not me doing things anymore, me helping people to become what they want to be and to improve themselves and oh. to improve their workplace. And, and, you know, I know from your experience in HR, you have somebody who's a good performer, but just can't hang with that bad boss. And you look at that toxic environment and uh, that's heartbreaking. It it is, and in fact, I had I had one particular client number a handful of years ago now, who called on me for one of the one of the most common reasons I get called upon is to conduct terminations, to 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 uh, assist companies in the separation of employee, getting them out of there. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that they're doing it properly through uh, you know legislative requirements, and also most of the time. I would say probably outside of compliance factors, the biggest reason I get called for that is because people hate confrontation mm -hmm. and the separation of an employment relationship is a huge confrontational process. Right. It's, it's, it's one, one group or one person uh, telling another person, we don't want you here anymore. Mm -hmm. We're no longer going to pay you to be here anymore. We don't want you coming back in the door. That, I don't want you, we don't want you, it's, it's one of the oldest confrontations ever. It's the dissolution the, of a relationship. It's, it's essentially a breakup. Mm -hmm. And people hate that confrontation. And over the course of many, many years, I've become somewhat numb to that. It's not a fun thing to do. Right. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, I've, I've become somewhat numb to that confrontation. This is just it. This is the situation. Here are the facts laid before you. Uh, things are over. Let's pack your desk and, and get you out of here. I had one particular client who that's the only reason I was ever called. And mm -hmm. I was there every four to six weeks wow. for a year straight. Now that was very lucrative for me, mm -hmm. not for her. And, uh, you know, finally I said, you know, let's talk about your hiring process. Oh no, no, no. I, I'm great at hiring. I got that down. Do you really though? Because I'm here every four to six weeks. I wouldn't be if you had that hiring process down. I wouldn't be if you had your training process down. I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be handing me a check every four to six weeks. And, and it's not, you know, it's not a huge, huge check, but it's not a small one either. Well, you know, and certainly I'm not sitting in, well, where you'll be uh, shortly here in a couple of days. I'm not sitting in some other country, you know, drinking my ties with my feet on the beach, but um it, 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 so we had a conversation about her hiring process and about her training process and about the culture she had created there. And, and that has all to do with leadership, with what you do. Had I known you existed back then, uh, I probably would have said, you know, you really need to be talking to Ryan. Oh, and, and, exactly. Yeah. And that's the, we work uh, with Human Resources and SHRM, the Society of Human Resources. Uh, our training gets them continuing education credits. Um, and it's, again, not to try to make somebody a military officer or a military leader, but um, 
motivating folks, you know, show me the hatch on the human head where you pour in the cord of motivation and, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't exist. No. It, you have to find out what that person's internal motivations are, what makes them come in, what makes them happy, what makes them want to do things and create the environment for them to succeed so you can succeed. And if you have the buy-in with your people and that they know that you care about them and that you want them to be the best them they can be, not a mini-me, not a, a, a mindless cog, uh, the better results you're going to have. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the coaching uh, is a, a key aspect of that um, in, in developing the team because very few businesses are individuals. And see, that's a, and, and I know we're, I, I, if you don't mind, I kind of like to spend a little more time on this with you here, sure. even though I know we're, we're kind of 11 minutes into this, but, um, and usually I reserve out uh, six minutes for, because uh, we will have, we can accommodate up to six guests. And usually the deal is if you come on civil tension, you get a, a one minute spot for yourself. But what has me interested here uh, in what you do, because it all relates to leadership and something about what we've kind of been talking talking about all morning long, we're, we're severely lacking even adequate leadership in many facets of our country right now. Um, but when you're talking about buy-in and you're talking about the people that you help, what happens when you go to a group that, you know, now the client I talked about, her group was relatively small. They didn't, I think they had le uh, less than 30 employees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I work with a handful of employers that are even less than 20 employees. Uh, then I work with other employers that have, they fluctuate between a couple of thousand up to over 4,000 during a seasonal period where it's just a mind numbing number of people. Mm. How on earth do you, do you get people into leadership roles? And because obviously you're coming from a military background, so you, you must have addressed this in some level because the military on, on all of its facets is a massive, massive organization. How do you, how do you get people who are in roles of leadership to be good, effectual leaders when they have, you know, even 500, a thousand, two, three, four thousand more employees, more people, to lead because you, you can't necessarily do that always on an individual level at, at, right. that, at that point. Well, and first, you know, you start off uh, the building blocks of leadership. You don't take somebody straight out of college and say, okay, here, here's a team of 500. They're all yours. Off you go. Um, that's taking the, the kid and metaphorically taking them to the deep end, you know, off you go into the deep water, swim or drown. Uh, with bad results for that potential leader and for uh, the pool that they're trying to work with. Um, you, great leaders are, are built. They're not born. Some people have some natural tendencies, uh, whether they're physical, mental, or emotional. Um, some people have to overcome challenges in those same categories. But leadership is a acquired trait. And that's where the coaching comes in. And that's where you observe the behaviors, the mannerisms, uh, the way people interact with each other and uh, work them through the scenarios. Um, you know, for example, in the, in the termination, one of the things that if I was coaching you about talking to that employer, uh, okay, when we're doing the termination, it's not me that's doing the termination. You need to do the termination, ma'am. I'm here to support you and make sure that you stay within the right and left limits and we stay legal, but you're the owner, you're the boss. This is yours. And, and in, in many and cases, she's using you as yeah. the, the cloak to keep her from that unpleasantness, um, that that's a challenge. It is a challenge. Okay. And, and that for me, having, because I do have wonderful legal counsel, uh, that uh, has helped me understand how I how I have to phrase things and carry myself in those situations when the employer wants to use me as that cloak. Yep. So I understand how that works. Many in many situations, it, I'm fortunate that I've been able to learn to do exactly what you just said. Is look, I'm here to facilitate this, and I'll give you a signal when you need to stop talking or mm -hmm. you know 
that's enough. And uh, we're going to move on to the next thing. Well, but uh, yeah, and think back in those terminations where you looked across the table at that individual who was being terminated and you realized this is the first time that they had any clue that something was wrong. And a lot. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. part of another reason why, no, you, you know, if there had been good coaching and good leadership, any deficiencies or any problem of that person working in the, the organization should have been acknowledged and addressed earlier in the process. You give people, just like we talked about the presumption of innocence and mm -hmm. due process, that's still a concept within the workforce as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just often so overlooked because people are so conflict adverse. Yeah. They don't, it just floors me. And I've been there. I get it. I understand mm -hmm. it. I remember the very first time I ever had to fire someone. I was very young. Mm -hmm. I was 24, 25 to be in a, to be in a role where you actually have the responsibility to end an employment relationship to me that now, because that's a long time ago, it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, very many decades ago. Um, that's very young. And the, the person that I was talking with, she finally said, basically I'm getting fired. Right. And I'm she's like, and I, you don't want to say it, do you? And I'm like, she's just, let me do it for you. I'm fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, okay. And it was, it was painful. Yeah. But it, it was something that I went back and sat at my desk and thought, that was pathetic, Pete. You, you did a terrible job at that. And even though you're 24, 25 years old, your role here is, and, I, and again, I was, I was an HR director mm -hmm. at, at that age. Probably shouldn't have been. Welcome to the deep but end, Pete. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Where are your water wings? And, um, and I'm, but I'm thankful for it because I learned things in that role that I never would have learned otherwise. Hmm. Well, and, you know, as a, in, in going back to the military, I started off, I was a, a Boy Scout out of California. So I had had exposure to leadership and working with groups. Uh, and in my scouting experience, the, the scouts were the leaders. Mm -hmm. We talked to the adults, but the scouts ran the, the organization. And then on into college as an athlete and getting into ROTC, you start that leadership training. And you know the military uh, and in any organization, when, when I was the deputy commander for a battalion of 800, I didn't have direct, uh, I, I had direct command authority, if you will, over the, the uniforms in the organization, but there were subordinate leaders. So any organization, you should have suitable layers of leadership. Uh, and, and the problem comes when we flatten organizations and, and you take out that unnecessary level of mid-management. Mm -hmm. Well, that management level gives you a lot of capability. And my analogy- When it's that, a good one. When it's a good one. My analogy to that is uh, the coronavirus in, in China right now is impacting the just-in-time um, supply logistics model. So yeah. you have manufacturers in South Korea and now in the United States who can't get the raw materials or the components they need to produce their things because they built just-in-time logistics. Yeah. So- it's the same. If you don't have the layer of management that's effective to keep things going, if there's a disconnect between the senior and the, uh, the flattened organization followers, you're going to have problems. Do you work with a lot of HR professionals? I want to know. I know you talked about Sherm and right. And I've been down, uh, I've been to the state, uh, state line Sherm organization here in McHenry County. And I've been down to, interface with the uh, Chicago-based one. We're kind of a regional organization, so my mm -hmm. area of operation is uh, southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois. Okay. Um, you know, we give ourselves the moniker of Midwest because we can go fairly far afield, but there are so many hours a day that you want to sit in a car driving. Right. Um, what I really like doing is uh, getting with groups of people uh, especially when it's diverse and they're not all from the same company. Uh, I have an open enrollment opportunity uh, in March, which is in Hoffman Estates. And then uh, later in May, I'm going to do another open enrollment. And it's a three-day course called the Leadership Excellence. 
it's great for a first-time leader or somebody who's been in leadership roles but just knows they want to improve their game. Mm -hmm. And as part of our certification process, I had to take it as a student in 2017. Mm. So I'd been through a lot of the Army training. But the beauty of our program through Academy Leadership is it distills out the good stuff from all the different service components and other experiences and presents it to you in a very fact-based, very dynamic, very challenging three-day course. Now, is that something that people actually leave their workplace and go to? And do you find that as a challenge? It is. To get people up and out of the office? And it's a three-day investment on site. Uh, plus travel if they have to fly in, uh, but it's very focused. So getting them there, that's always the, the challenge, and uh, keeping them focused on what's going on during the session. Um, but it's adult education. There's mm-hmm. pre-work that they have to do. There's a book to be read uh, on the the emerging leader and, and the need to create a uh, personal leadership philosophy. Imagine if you walked in and, and you're reporting, if you would, your first day of working with Ryan, and I reach into my folio and I pull out a two-page, 700-word document that says, this is what I think leadership is. Here's what I value. Here are my priorities. Here's what uh, I consider to be uh, non-negotiables, pet peeves, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the rocks and shoals, and, and what I expect of you, what you can expect of me and my commitment. And, and those topics in two pages. And I tell you, take this, don't read it right here, right now, but next time we meet in a couple of days, I want you to have read it and I want your feedback on this because it's my contract with you. This is what you can expect from me. Now imagine each leader within that organization having their own personal leadership philosophy. And that's one of the major outcomes from a three-day leadership excellence course. Is wow. A, a polished document like that. Uh, we also do... Uh, professional performance or executive coaching uh, for 90 days or more afterwards. And, and I tell the folks who come through my programs, you know, the 90 days is the, the requirement. But if you call me up in, in 180 days and say, Ryan, I have a problem. Can I have, you know, some time on your calendar? Sure. And, and I talk to and I meet with, you know, former students. Um, one, it's just taking care of people that I've spent time with and helped to develop. I have a vested interest in them. But it's that commitment because we want to improve people, we want to help them improve. Wow. That's, now, what's the average size of, I know I've taken almost this entire uh, second half of civil time. Well, I'm, I'm interested uh, because you, you kind of tweaked that, uh, that HR background. So, so we went from uh, civil tension to the, the leadership half hour, which is fine. I don't mind um, because it's what you're talking about, I think, is very germane to what we're experiencing as a country uh, right now. But also, professionally speaking, what's the average size of organization that you usually wind up working with? Is there a certain like employee level? Is there a certain, you know, income level? I mean, what, what's your average client? Well, and look like it, uh, I had a young man come in from Saudi Arabia. There were two of them who had enrolled in the course. Um, so they had the commitment of time plus travel over to the United States. One of them couldn't get a visa in time. So he had to, to drop. Um, and he is with, uh, one of the big logistics, agricultural, uh, combines of the Saudi government. Wow. And he had, uh, he was in the IT department there with, uh, he had, uh, he had flattened his organization, his predecessor had. So he had 21 direct reports. And one of our discussions was, so how's that working out for you? <laughs> and his day was nothing but solving other people's problems. And, As and, it would be. And we had discussion about him you know, creating that next level of leadership. So he has three to four direct reports who have subordinate teams. And that allowed, would have allowed him to uh, increase his capacity. And uh, I work with individuals, uh, project managers uh, get continuing education, CPAs get continuing education credits, SHRM uh, members get continuing education. Uh, A business with uh, a need for leadership and an interest, because this is not something where I can just sprinkle magic pixie dust and make everything better, but uh, our, our open enrollment 
is uh, 10, maybe 12 people total. Because mm. it, it is small group. It's dynamic. We don't want it to be the mindless drone of, of lecture. It's interactive. I'm not a, a trainer. I'm a facilitator. Because the students and the participants learn from each other as much as they learn from um, just any set program. But we do we we do nine modules in three days, and wow. again, how long are the days? Uh, starts at eight in the morning. It's done by four thirty. Wow! Day. So it's a full day. It's a full day. Wow! Now we tend to break for a forty-five to fifty-minute um, informal working lunch. It's not with papers on the desk, but it's continuing discussions from what's going on and getting to know each other a little mm -hmm. bit better. Uh, it, it's very. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And we have programs, a leadership foundation course. So one of the companies that's um, expanding their line and they're creating first-time foremen or four women mm -hmm. supervisors who don't have the background. We have a two-day course for that. And those we can come in and with the leadership excellence course, we can come in to the workplace. And if there's a, a say five to seven uh, managers and you want to do three Fridays in a row instead of three days off-site. Okay, give me your conference room for three Fridays in a row. Your people don't have to travel. You just bring me in. Wow. Or, right, you know, this is not going to work. We're on a tight schedule to make deliveries or production goals. So I can give you uh, six, uh, six Fridays in the morning before noon. Okay, I'll take it. Wow. But that requires the buy-in that you make sure your people are there and that they're ready. Yeah. But it also gives them more time to do the reading. Uh, there's homework. Uh, my wife, uh, uh, who's a project manager, uh, graciously signed up and took the course the first time I was facilitating. And uh, Sharon is a very smart young lady. And she got there and she goes, okay, I had to read a book while we were on vacation before I came to your class. And you made me write a two-page paper and you wouldn't look at it until you got here. And now this has been, you know, it's not looking at, you know, surfing the web and, and you know, it's dynamic engagement. And now there's homework. Wait a minute. I'm sleeping with the instructor. <laughs> and there's homework. Where's the, yeah. Where, where's the benefit here? And I said, well, you're sleeping with the instructor. <laughs> so it's the only, she's the only one that gets that option. Um, and it was included with the rate. Yeah. Well, and again, she's got the exclusive yeah. on that deal, but uh, I think she's found it to be very helpful in her workplace. And our, our clients uh, worldwide, we've gone from, you know, Fortune 500 companies down to um, uh, smaller manufacturers to mom and pop shops. We had one lady that I helped facilitate hers. Uh, she had three great clip franchise storefronts in okay. Cleveland. Huh? And uh, she had ended up getting those because her husband decided he wanted to be a great clips franchise owner and then got hired by a big company. And she said, well, I'm a high school teacher. I want to be a high school teacher. Well, no economic need. She had to step away from being a teacher and now run great clips. Because they're committed on that franchise deal. Right. That's, yeah. yeah. And they did well. And now she had three of them. And listening to her talk about her challenges of having 50-some-odd stylists, all of whom have unique lifestyles and different challenges, and... Uh, um, you know, it's Monday and somebody hasn't come in and you have to find him and find out that, well, there was a domestic and that, you know, she's no longer available or she is, you know, behind bars until makes bail. <laughs> and how do you handle those things? Yeah. And for her, her husband had come through the leadership excellence course um, in his previous life. It was interesting because we do a personality assessment also called the uh, Energized Elite, which helps people understand how they are hardwired to communicate, how they like handling energy. I'm very much about talking and I'm a people person. My wife is very detail-oriented and understanding why. Um, her having her profile and understanding her communications needs and mine, she knows that if she gets too far down in the weeds and the details, I'm not really paying attention anymore because I'm paying mm -hmm. attention to her. 
And conversely, I know I have to meet her energy and her informational needs and, if I want her and get to, down there. Yes. Yeah. But those things have helped us as a couple. Now we don't do marriage counseling, <laughs> but the indirect is if you understand your partner better, whether it's a business partner or a domestic partner, you're going to have a better experience. Yeah. And it's a point to have a discussion like civil discourse. Yeah. You can have different viewpoints and different approaches. And if you can talk and come to that, okay, I see what you're saying and you're trying to do and you have good intentions. Here's what I'm seeing. I'm saying, and I have these intentions. How do we resolve this? Yeah. An impasse is not always, you know, or I'm just not going to pay attention to them. That's when you start having failures. You're exactly right. And now, uh, of course, this has been Civil Tension here, episode number 93. Uh, but uh, now, if you want to uh, have as much time to talk about what you do, uh, maybe you'll luck out and be the only guest on on uh, an episode of Civil Tension like uh, Ryan did here today. Now, see what see the, 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 the three others who had said, oh, yeah, we'll be there, we'll be there. See what you missed out on? You missed out on getting to talk about yourself here. Uh, and Ryan piqued my interest, so sometimes that happens. Uh, but uh, we'll be back next week. Um, not sure if we'll be back on the same day and time, but we'll be figuring that out as we uh, go along and as civil tension progresses. This has been episode 93. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about Ryan and what he does with Silverleaf Leadership Communication, go to silverleaflc.com. That's S I L V E R L E A F, like Frank, L C. Dot com uh, or shoot him a note ryan.yantis at silverleaflc.com and I'll throw out your uh, office number here real quick which is 815-269-4076 give him a call Ryan thank you very much for hanging out with me this morning I really appreciate it thank you Peter Had right. fun. take care we'll see you all next week so long <laughs>